Praise the Lord. Amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Us four and no more. Amen. There's a lot of people out of town. Uh, we'll continue to pray for them. Pray that their time with family and friends are blessed. Uh, Brother McGinnis is under the weather this morning. He called me this morning saying he wouldn't be in due to sickness. Let's pray for him. Amen. That guy, he'll be angry at me for saying this, but he does an awful lot around here. He is an integral part of this congregation. He's our brother. Amen. Okay. Let's pray for Sister Vicky's mom. She's a becker. So, <laughs> I don't know if there's any relation, but <clears throat> amen. A lot of needs this morning. A lot of needs. Thank God we have someone to turn to who has both power and authority, who not only can but will help us in our time of need. Amen. Let's all stand. We'll pray for these needs this morning. Pray for our service that God would minister here wondrously, gloriously in our midst today. Lord Jesus, you are such an awesome God. You are a glorious Savior. We heap unto you all worship and praise, all glory and all honor. You are ever worthy to receive it. Hallelujah, Jesus. We pray, Lord, for these needs that have been uh, mentioned here this morning. We pray for Sister Vicky's mom. We pray for Brother McGinnis. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, not for these only, but for all those that need healing. Brother Bell, I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you administer in these needs. You are our great physician. You took stripes on your back, Lord Jesus, that we might receive healing of you. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would release that healing virtue now, in the name of Jesus Christ, into these situations. And we'll give you all the glory. We'll give you all the praise, because you are our healer. Hallelujah, Jesus. We pray for our service this morning that you would minister here wondrously, that all of your heart would be manifest, that your perfect will would be accomplished here today. Minister to the needs represented in this place, those joining us online, and we'll worship you, we'll praise you, we'll give you glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Praise God. Thank you so much. You can be seated. We're going to continue our study. I think this will be the last one on uh, religion analysis. Today we're going to be talking about something called postmodernism. And this is a really interesting philosophy, worldview, in that it kind of is an amalgamation of several different philosophies, and trying to nail it down is like trying to herd cats. Uh, it is, it, yeah, it's really, it's really hard, maybe even impossible to really define and to really understand. Coming from a worldview that values things like logic, and when I say that, I don't say it disparagingly. Uh, but the postmodernist has basically completely thrown logic out the window, and we're gonna we're gonna see that demonstrated, and we're gonna try to trace its roots back through history. How did we get here? How did we arrive at this place? Our generation today is steeped in postmodernism, and speaking with someone who has adopted this worldview. These, these kinds of uh, beliefs, it's very difficult to speak with them. It's very difficult to try, to try to find some common ground from which to proceed from. A definition, well, 
Let me read some of these scripture verses. John 17:17 17, 17 says this. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. In John 14 and 6, it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So we read in Scripture that Jesus is the truth. He's the truth. We read in Scripture that there is a truth to be learned. There is a truth that is external to us, meaning that we don't find truth in ourselves. We find it somewhere outside. In our case, we believe truth is revealed to us through Scripture. That ultimate, absolute truth is found in the Word of God. It's found in Jesus Christ. There is another worldview that perpets something else entirely. That truth is absolutely unknowable. It's undefinable. It's The word truth is really a, it's a non-word. It's a non-issue. It doesn't really even exist. In the ruins of the church, sustaining faith in an age of diminished Christianity, Mr. R. R. Reno recommends this, and I quote, If we care about evangelism, then surely we need to get our bearings in this strange postmodern world. If we wish to preach and teach effectively, then we must be clear about where the sharp and double-edged sword of the gospel cuts into the spirit of the age. This is especially important because our churches are awash with disorienting analysis. Some are eager to convince us that our sophisticated scientific culture just cannot accept the simplistic mythological worldview of traditional Christianity. He's talking about what some churches teach. Others are certain that the new global communication makes us so aware of cultural and religious diversity that the traditional exclusivist claims of Christianity are untenable. Still others drink deeply at the well of literary theory and in an intoxicated reverie announce that old ideas of meaning and truth have been transcended. Most, however, offer a straightforward assessment. Our postmodern world is so very, very complex that the traditional forms of Christian preaching and teaching must be updated and revised. Is that true? Is it true that the world has simply become too sophisticated for our old-fashioned ideas of truth? Is it true that the world is so diverse and so, uh, so inclusive That anything and everything is equally true. All roads lead to salvation. Of course, we don't believe that. In this particular church, I pray in the UPCI at large, that is simply not true. There is an absolute truth. It's true whether we believe it or not. It's true whether we acknowledge it or not. And someday... We are going to stand before a judge and we will be judged by that truth. Whether we've acknowledged it or not, whether we've believed it or not, we are going to be judged by it. And it doesn't matter, folks, what we choose to believe. We can believe in the tooth fairy. We can believe in nothing. We can believe in everything. It doesn't matter what we believe or don't believe. We are going to be judged by what is actually true. That's the truth. How do we define postmodernism? Dictionary.com defines it like this. Any, any of a number of trends or movements in the arts and literature developing in the 1970s in reaction to or rejection of the dogma, principles, or practices of established modernism especially a movement in architecture and the decorative arts running counter to the practice and influence of the international style and encouraging the use of elements from historical vernacular styles and often playful illusion, decoration, and complexity. Also, the contemporary movement of thought which rejects the possibility of objective knowledge 
and is therefore skeptical of truth, unity, and progress. Okay. I think I like this one the best. A man by the name of Steve Cornell in a post on Wisdom for Life says this. Postmodernity rejects individual autonomy, universal reason, and absolute truth. Truth under postmodernism is completely perspective and situational. History, social class, gender, culture, and religion all control the way we understand truth and reality. They shape the narratives and meanings of our lives as culturally embedded, localized social constructions without any universal application. Claims of universal meaning are viewed as efforts to marginalize and oppress the rights of others. The most important value of postmodernism is the inadmissibility of all totalizing ways of viewing any dimension of life. Postmodernism as a theory refuses to, to allow any single defining source of truth or reality. We see that manifest today. All of this being a fancy way of saying that I will not allow you to define truth for me. I will define truth for myself based on how I feel, based on what I've experienced. Now, pre-modernism is basically where you and I come from. Pre-modernism accepts the fact that we live in a created reality. That there is then, by necessity, a creator who rules and reigns over that creation. That there is an external, absolute truth. That that truth can be known. And indeed, we understand, God wants us to know that. He has revealed that to us through His Word. And so, that's where the pre-modernist comes from. The modernist is someone who accepts logic, reason, science as the be-all and end-all. They've evolved past the need for to explain natural phenomenon through religious means. We don't need a creator anymore to explain storms or to explain sickness or, or things like that. We understand through science, biology, etc., etc., why these things happen. That's the modernist. They are very optimistic as to our future. They believe, the modernist, that through human reason, through human intellect, through effort, through basic human goodness, we can achieve utopia. We can achieve a, an egalitarian society where there are no social ills, everyone is equal, and we'll basically usher heaven on earth ourselves. That's the, that's the end of the... the uh, the end goal of modernism. Postmodernism realizes, basically through the, the history of, of the 20th century, World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, that we don't have it within ourselves to save ourselves. That everything the modernists have taught us, we failed. We cannot achieve these things. And so their stance is, everything is out the window. Throw it all out. They've demonstrated that religion is false, unnecessary, but they've also demonstrated that their belief system is completely false. So basically, they've taken the position, we don't have a belief system. We don't believe in anything or everything, however you want to look at it. But that's where people are at today. Okay, the origins of postmodernism. Going back to Greek philosophy. Greek philosophy is characterized in a very general sense by humanism and rationalism. Man becomes the measure of all things. And again, through human reason and intellect, we can discover absolute truth. They believe that there is an absolute truth, that it is discoverable, but it's not revealed, we have to go dig for it. A man by the name of Thales of Miletus, regarded by Aristotle as the first philosopher, and by some today as the first man of science, 
He gave the first naturalistic explanation for the existence of the cosmos and supported it with various reasons. So we find in history that Charles Darwin wasn't actually the originator of evolution. This man was. At least he's the first recorded instance of that idea. We jump to medieval philosophy. The medieval period, loosely defined, uh, takes place from about the 5th century after the fall of Rome to the 16th century at the beginning of the Renaissance. Characterized again generally by a theological approach to knowing. The great debate during this time was faith versus reason and what place each had in the discovery of knowledge and truth. Also during this time, the Catholic Church was the prominent religious and political institution dictating what was truth and what was not. We see toward the end of this period, 15th and 16th century, that there was great dissatisfaction with the Catholic Church due to corruption and abuses perpetrated by the church leaders. This caused a split of a sort between a more biblical theology and a rejection of theology for reason. And we see this uh, split going off in two different directions, the Renaissance and the Reformation. The Renaissance took place from the 14th to 17th century. And I know this is a lot of history and stuff, but we're building up to something. It takes place from the 14th to 17th century, characterized by a return to Greek philosophy and thought. So we, we, we're kind of moving away in the Renaissance from religious, theological truth and revelation of truth to a more humanistic the Renaissance man was characterized in this period with deep levels of understanding on many diverse subjects. Think of people like Michelangelo or Leonardo da Vinci. The Reformation was characterized by a return to the authority of Scripture. Now, there were many people that tried to do this throughout history. Uh, Martin Luther was kind of the one that broke through. He was kind of the, the prime mover, if you will, of the Reformation. The Age of Enlightenment, or the Age of Reason. This takes place during the 18th and 19th century, characterized by the ability of science and reason to fix all ills. This was a very optimistic period of history. We're making a lot of scientific discoveries, mostly from people who believed in God, <laughs> interestingly enough. Again, through the exercise of the human intellect and basic goodness of humanity, we are going to achieve an egalitarian state where all social evils have been eliminated. Sometimes this is called the modern age or modernism. However, the patent failure of man's powers of reason and intellect to solve the evils of society, as well as some of the philosophies of earlier periods, caused a catastrophic philosophical backlash to occur in the later 20th century and on into today which brings us to postmodernism. Coming into its own probably in the 60s and early 70s, postmodernism is the overarching worldview of today's generation, characterized by a complete rejection of absolute truth and is focused on individual experience and one's interpretation of that experience to discover not truth, but meaning. That's a huge difference. Okay, historical context of this philosophy. Rene Descartes, 1596 to 1650. He's a philosopher that asserts we should reject everything that is not, quote, plainly certain and indubitable, unquote. Or to put it another way, reject everything unless it is absolutely unable to be doubted. If you can doubt it, it's not true. Using this criterion for truth, he is freed to doubt anything and everything he even doubts the truth of math mathematics. He's able to conclude from his philosophy of hyperskepticism that he's thinking, and a thinking object must exist. Or perhaps this is just a deception, but only something that exists can be deceived. So either way, he must exist. The famous quote, I think, therefore I am, comes from Rene Descartes. He therefore places self as the foundational reality, his contribution to postmodernism is to doubt all truth claims. 
David Hume, 1711-1776, asserts in his Enquiries Concerning Human Understanding that our knowledge of cause and effect, the basis of science, is not founded on demonstrative knowledge. He seeks to prove the foundation of our knowledge of cause and effect is experience. In other words, you are not able to conclusively deduce a cause and effect relationship unless you've actually experienced it for yourself. His contribution to postmodernism is the idea that experience is king. That's all we have to, uh, to sift through what is true and what is false. Immanuel Kant, 1724-1804. In Kant, we find a philosophy that challenges our objective knowledge. Kant writes this, and I quote, Hitherto, it has been assumed that all our knowledge must conform to objects. We must therefore make trial whether we may not have more success if we suppose that objects must conform to our knowledge. This is in his work, Critique of Pure Reason. In other words, we cannot know objective truth. Our minds and our senses reshape and interpret external realities and so bring all truth into subjectivism. There are no absolute truths. Truth is subjective based on our experience and how we interpret that experience. His contribution is, therefore, there is no objective truth. Frederick Nietzsche, 1844 to 1900, states that facts do not exist, only interpretations do. This is called perspectivism. Nietzsche proposed that every view is only one among many possible interpretations, including the idea of perspectivism itself. In other words, all viewpoints are equally true and valid, or untrue and invalid. And there is no basis from which to decide if one is better than another. His contribution to postmodernism, then, is everyone's viewpoints are equally valid and relevant. Your truth is just as good as my truth. Modern influences. There are other movements and ideas that help to shape postmodernism as we see it today. The second industrial revolution in the late 19th and early 20th centuries promised the advancement of mankind through innovation and progress. However, urban squalor, poor sanitation, along with the wealth becoming concentrated in the hand of a, hands of a few elites, caused disillusionment, paving the way for socialism. Socialism was preached and practiced from World War I up to the present moment, but has yet to achieve its stated goals of equality and social utopia. Again, it's one of those ideas that look really good on paper. And it does look really good on paper. But as soon as you put the, a human into the mix, it completely falls apart. In 1859, Charles Darwin published the book On the Origins of Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. One of those long titles that were popular back then popularizing the idea that we don't need a creator to explain the existence of everything as the establishment has long taught. World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, etc. took place demonstrating that no matter what we did, no matter what we tried, the ideals of the human potential, our intellect, our ability to fix our own problems fell far short of the goal. In other words, we simply cannot, through our own efforts, as we've been taught, fix social ills. It keeps falling apart on us. In the end, the ideals of the modern age, reason, science, innovation, egalitarianism, the idea of mankind progressing onward and upward toward an understanding of ultimate objective truth proved to be patently false. It failed to accomplish its goals. Postmodernism is then, in its essence, a severe backlash against the stated... How did I do that? against the stated philosophies of previous generations because they proved to be completely bankrupt of value and utterly bereft of truth. Okay, so to sum up, pre-modernism. Religion is the source of truth and reality. God's existence, attributes, and revelation were givens in the culture. Modernism. Science is the source of truth and reality. Religion and morality are moved to the subjective realm. They're okay in their own little spot off in the corner. That's faith, but this is reality. Postmodernism. There is no single defining source for truth and reality beyond the individual. 
Not even science, logic, or history is allowed to define truth for us. Okay, tenets, doctrines of postmodernism. In this, I, I'm kind of contrasting modernism with postmodernism to help us see where we're at. In modernism, there is an objective natural reality, a reality whose existence and properties are logically and epistemologically independent of human beings. In other words, uh, logically, epistemologically is um, the science of knowing what we know. Okay, that's epistemology. What we know. And so, understanding that truth, reality, is independent of us. All of this exists whether I'm here or not. The world was here before I came, and said the Lord, Terry, it will exist long after I'm gone. The postmodernist, however, they reject the, uh, this idea as a kind of naive realism. Such reality as there is is a conceptual construct, an artifact of scientific practice and language. This point also applies to the investigation of past events by historians and to the description of social institutions, structures, or practices by social scientists. <clears throat> so in other words, the postmodernists, they don't believe in an objective reality. It's very subjective. Again, I am not going to let anything define truth for me. I will let truth be defined by my personal experiences. It's kind of like uh, when we smell a rose. We understand that the rose exists. If I leave the room, if I leave the, the city, the, the country, the rose is still going to be there. If I die in the next minute, that rose is still going to be here. We understand that. But the postmodernist understands something else entirely. That rose really, it may exist or it may not. What I do know is that my brain is perceiving the rose. My brain is, is perceiving a smell when I go to smell it. I can feel it. That's why it exists. That's the truth that I perceive right now. The idea that the rose exists externally is absolutely irrelevant. All that matters is that I'm experiencing this experience. And I'm interpreting that as there's a rose. That's kind of a really clumsy way to explain the thought process of a postmodernist. And so, it's very strange to us. It's very alien, foreign, and hard to understand. But this is where people are at today. And the craziness that we perceive in society, and I've called it that, and I still believe it's crazy, some of the ideas that are circulating out there, all come from this idea of postmodernism. The idea that you can, you can choose your, your gender. That seems absolutely insane to me. Just, just go to the doctor. They'll tell you what you are. Take a gene sample. That'll tell you what you are, male or female. But people today, they get to choose whatever they want to be. Or some combination. And that's, that's not crazy to a postmodernist. That is perfectly valid. And this is why it's perfectly valid. This is where they're coming from. The modernist... The descriptive and explanatory statements of scientists and historians can, in principle, be objectively true or false. In other words, we can prove conclusively that Abraham was, Lincoln was the 16th president of the United States. Or we can disprove that. But that's something quantifiable. To the postmodernist, it's irrelevant. Statements like true and false are irrelevant. There is no such thing as truth. To prove something objectively true or false is, uh, is a complete non-issue. Truth doesn't exist. 
Interpretations exist. Ideas exist. Experiences exist. But truth does not. The modern, through the use of reason and logic and with the more specialized tools provided by science and technology, human beings are likely to change themselves and their societies for the better. It is reasonable to expect that future societies will be more humane, more just, more enlightened, and more prosperous than they are now. The postmodernist, however, denies all of this and asserts that it is technology that led to World War II, the atom bomb, and global warming. Even logic and reason are inherently destructive and oppressive because they have been used by evil people, especially during the 20th century, to destroy and oppress others. So again, a complete rejection of those things. The modernist. Reason and logic are universally valid, i.e. their laws are the same for or apply equally to any thinker and any domain of knowledge. Now, the pre-modernist believes that as well. We believe that thinking logically, we are thinking God's thoughts after him. This is how God thinks naturally. He's a God of order, not chaos. He thinks logically by default. We used to until the fall. And now our brains, are, our, our thought processes are replete with uh, cognitive biases and, and heuristical models that uh, they fall short. They don't, they don't account for everything. Emotion gets in the way. And we start thinking emotionally instead of logically. Nothing wrong with being emotional. Nothing wrong with having emotions. God has emotions. But God doesn't allow the emotions to control Him. He controls the emotions. The postmodernist, reason and logic are merely conceptual constructs and are therefore valid only within the established intellectual traditions in which they are used. In other words, uh, they are only valid to interpret experience. They are only valid so far as I can use them to define my own truth. And you're going to see that in definitions. When someone uses a definition or someone uses an idea, they will be able to morph those ideas and those definitions based on what suits them at the moment. And to them, they're going to be equally true and valid. At one moment, something is evil, something is wrong, something is awful. And in the next moment, well, that's okay uh, because of this. That's okay in this situation. And they can go back and forth like that. And that's fine because, again, there are no truths. There are, there are no real external values except my personal experience. That's all that's valid. The only thing external they're really going to acknowledge other than this is your personal experience. But that's only valid for you, not for me. They're going to recognize your experiences as being valid for you. And that's going to come in later when we talk about trying to minister to someone as a postmodernist. They do value experience. <coughs> but only their own. The modernist believes that language refers to and represents a reality outside itself. When I talk about the earth, when I talk about my mother, when I talk about my car, I'm talking about something external, something real, something that exists apart from myself. The postmodernist, language is not a mirror of nature, but is rather semantically self-contained or self-referential. The meaning of a word is not a static thing in the world or even an idea in the mind, but rather a range of contrasts and differences with the meanings of other words. I guess I'm getting ahead of myself. This is what I was talking about. They can kind of morph and shift and change definitions and meanings based on what they need. Because meanings are, in this sense, functions of other meanings, which themselves are functions of other meanings, and so on, they are never fully present to the speaker or hearer, but are endlessly deferred. 
Self-reference characterizes not only natural languages, but also the more specialized discourses of particular communities or traditions. Such discourses are embedded in social practices and reflect the conceptual schemes and moral and intellectual values of the community or tradition in which they are used. Again, all of that to say that definitions for them are very fluid. And something means something at the moment. That can change. And it will change. The modernist believes human beings can acquire knowledge about natural reality, and this knowledge can be justified ultimately on the basis of evidence or principles that are or can be known immediately, intuitively, or otherwise with certainty. In other words, we can know about reality because we can prove it true or false. It's objective. It's quantifiable. It's falsifiable. The scientific method is based on this idea that knowledge is discoverable, it's knowable, uh, because we can prove it to be true or false. We can demonstrate that. The postmodernist rejects philosophical foundationalism objectively and chooses rather to start with the self. I think, therefore, I am. So in other words, the modernist starts out here and brings it in. The postmodernist starts in here and moves outward. I exist because I think. Okay, I believe that. Now, where does that take me from there? It's a very shaky place to start. The modernist believes it is possible, at least in principle, to construct general theories that explain many aspects of the natural or social world within a given domain of knowledge. For example, a general theory of human history. Furthermore, it should be a goal of scientific and historical research to construct such theories, even if they are never perfectly attainable in practice. Because that leads to greater understanding. We develop a hypothesis. We test that hypothesis. If it proves true, if it holds true in these situations, we can move it up to a theory. And theories that have been demonstrated long enough become laws. The laws of thermodynamics, for example, have been demonstrated true for centuries, time and time and time again. The postmodernist believes it's an unhealthy tendency within Enlightenment discourses to adopt grand, quote, meta-narratives of human biological, historical, and social development. These theories are dangerous, not merely because they are false, but because they effectively impose conformity on other perspectives or discourses, thereby oppressing, marginalizing, or silencing them. Does that sound familiar today? <clears throat> and this is why they feel that way. Okay, to sum up, modernism was confident, postmodernism is anxious. Modernism had all the answers, postmodernism is full of questions. Modernism reveled in reason, science, and human ability. Postmodernism wallows in mysticism, relativism, and the incapacity to know anything with certainty. That was from a 2000 book, Preaching to the Postmodern World, Graham Johnston. So, this is where we're at. This is what people believe. This generation is steeped in it. People coming out of the colleges today, this is, they're, they're indoctrinated by these ideas. Question authority. There is no absolute truth. Truth is determined by yourself. You're free to determine that. Let your experience guide you. Follow your heart. All of these things. And they're going to recognize your experience as being true for you. And they're going to accept that without question. But not for themselves. They have their own truth that they follow. They'll accept your truth for you. But if you try to impose your truth on them... Now there's a problem. Now they're being silenced. They're being marginalized. 
And that's where we're at. As people who believe in logic and consistency, cogency, uh, things need to conform to reality, we see all kinds of problems with postmodernism. It's a worldview that states no worldviews exist. Postmodernism is an anti-theory that uses theoretical tools to neutralize all theories. Postmodernism demands uniformity. In other words, they need everyone needs to believe this way in an effort to resist uniformity. You can't cause me to conform to your ideals. Completely contradictory. Postmodernists often use propositional statements to negate truth based on propositional statements. Of course, it's pointless to try to point these things out to someone as they will never let someone external to themselves define their own truths. Okay, so, how do we minister to a postmodernist? Our culture today is just about as far from the mind of God as they can get. And I'm not talking just about ideas of good and evil. I'm not talking about a holy and a righteous God versus an evil and a perverse generation. That's not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the way God thinks. The way, uh, the way He has built reality to work is completely opposite of what people believe today. Everything that we know to be true on a very fundamental level. Things that we take for granted. If I had to, if I had to sit up here for a half an hour and explain why I think logic is a valid way to think, I think in this crowd I'd be wasting my breath. Everyone here understands that logic has value. We need to speak logically. We need to think logically. We can't just go willy-nilly. Whatever we want to say is true. We don't believe that. But it's, it's, it's such a foundational level. I can't be here and back there at the same time. I can't be here and Brother DeMuth can't be in this same spot at the same time. We understand that. That's just, why are you even bringing that up? <clears throat> But the postmodernist doesn't believe that. Maybe for you that could happen. Maybe for me it could happen. I don't know. I haven't experienced it yet. But maybe I will down the road. Isn't that interesting? So, how do we begin to minister to them? How do we begin to bring them from where they're at? to where God wants them to be. First of all, we need to understand that whatever someone believes, they're not beyond God's ability to reach. God is way smarter than that. God is way more potent than that. He can reach the postmodernist. He is reaching the postmodernist. And He will continue to do so. But how can we... Increase the odds, as it were. How can we increase our effectiveness in ministering to the needs that they have? First, trying to understand where they're coming from. And this is where they're coming from. And this is why they say the things that they do. This is why our society is throwing these kinds of ideas out there. Choose your own gender. That's an easy example for me to use. That seems insane to me. But they truly believe that that's a legitimate way to live. That's a legitimate way to, to move forward. Because of these ideas, because of these tenets. When we're ministering to the postmodernist, understanding that postmodernism returns the value of faith and the spiritual nature of reality to an area of respectability. 
When we're ministering to the modernists, they don't want to hear anything about faith or religion or scripture or revelation or things like that. Because they believe science, they believe human potential, etc., etc. But to the postmodernist, all of these are equally valid. They're all valid. And they're going to listen to that. So that's a good thing. We need to take advantage of that. They accept a spiritual nature. They accept the idea of faith, religious experience, as being valid. Now, understand, though, that with that, although they do value those things, they're not bound by any concept of truth either. And so, they are completely released from any mores, any, any, any boundaries. They'll pursue it without any boundaries. And so, understanding that as well will come in handy. People will be open to knowing God, but on their own terms. So, in a nutshell, our open door to the postmodernist is our experience with God. Our testimony becomes very powerful. It becomes very potent. They're going to accept that as perfectly valid. That's your experience, right? Your experience is valid for you. So they're going to accept that as being true. Our job then is to get them to see that they can have the same experience. You can have this experience too. Every experience I've had, and go into detail about how awesome it was, and and what a great thing it was to be in the presence of God, and, and God answered these prayers for me, and God speaks with me. They're going to accept all of that. They won't deny any of it. But for you, their truth is going to be something else. But their truth is evolving as their experiences, as they have more and more experiences. So they'll be very open to having an experience with God. After that, after they've had an experience, we can start tying that experience to an objective revealed truth. Scripture. It's kind of a reverse order from what we're used to. We like to teach a Bible study, and then they have an experience with God. That works for the modernist. And it may work for the postmodernist. The Word of God is quick and powerful. Absolutely. It's a miraculous book. But by and large, we will be more effective ministering to the modernist, trying to have them experience first. Because that's what they recognize as being valid. And then we tie that experience to Scripture. See here? This is what you experience. This is what the Bible is talking about. That experience right there that you just had. It's right here. And show them that there is an objective truth. Show them that this God that you just had and experienced with revealed truth to us through Scripture. And that's, in a nutshell, how we need to minister to the postmodernist. By using an experience with God. And as an apostolic, we have a unique advantage there. I would have a hard time trying to get them to have an experience with God if I were still a Lutheran. Nothing against Lutherans. But they really don't preach and teach experience with God. We do. We have an experience with God every time we come to church. Every time we kneel down in prayer, we have a new experience with God. And that's important to the postmodernist. That's where they discover truth, is through experience their truth. And eventually they'll begin to understand that this truth seems to be the same for everybody. It's objective. It's not subjective. Our society today is the culmination 
of all of these different philosophies that have been played out to their logical conclusion. They have all fallen short. Even the pre-modernists ended up falling short because they erred, they strayed from Scripture. We talked about that when we talked about uh, Catholicism. They stopped believing in the authority of Scripture and started believing in the authority of the priesthood to interpret truth. So that ended up failing too. Paving the way for modernism. That failed. Paving the way to postmodernism. If we look at the period of history, the 400 year silent period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, God was silent. There was no word. There was no Urim, no, no, no Thummim. There was no prophet. However, there was an awful lot going on during that 400 years. There was a lot of religious instability, a lot of religious uh, dissatisfaction. That's a good thing. They ought to be dissatisfied with false religion. They ought to be dissatisfied with Greek and Roman mythology. Because it's false. It has no power. The political culture was such that they were looking for something else. There's no salvation in religion. For the common person, there's no salvation in, in, in our political structure. Militarily, there's no salvation. Politically, there's no salvation. They were looking for something. The situation is identical today. It's identical today. There is so much dissatisfaction out there with religion at large, with politics, with society. Everything that we have tried as human beings has failed and failed miserably. The postmodernist recognizes that. That's why they've just decided to reject everything. In a sense, if you didn't know any better, it's kind of understandable. People are afraid today. People are fearful. They're anxious about everything that's going on. And there's nothing out there to help. Nothing is going to help. Everything we've tried has failed. We need to demonstrate something else. That there is hope. There is help in Jesus Christ. Let them experience God for themselves. And then tie that experience to Scripture. God will get them. Just like He got you and me. It's a different path. Different method. Same gospel. Same salvation. I don't care how they get to Jesus. As easy as possible, preferably. But to be perfectly honest, knowing what I know now, if God had to make me a quadriplegic to get saved, it would have been worth it. I don't want to be a quadriplegic. But if that's what it took, it would be worth it. It would certainly be worth it after I died and stood before a holy and a righteous judge. However, whatever path needs to be taken to get to Jesus Christ, it's worth it. I don't care if they have the experience first and then the revelation of truth. My wife received the Holy Ghost her first service. She didn't know what the Holy Ghost was. She'd never heard anyone speak with tongues. She didn't know what was going on. They had to explain it to her afterward. <clears throat> you can have the experience first. And then the revelation of truth. 
God wants to save everybody. No matter what, what culture they're a part of, no matter what their belief system is presently, He wants to save everybody. And although their ideas seem absolutely ludicrous to us, our ideas seem ludicrous to them. But we have common ground in experience. We have common ground after that in the fact that we are all created by Jesus Christ. We were created by Jesus Christ to worship Him, to have fellowship with Him, to serve Him. All of us, even the postmodernists, whether they acknowledge it or not. The Bible says, in our heart of hearts, everyone knows that God exists. They deny it. They purposefully throw up intellectual constructs, reasons, so that they don't have to believe it. So that they can forget about it. But they still in their heart of hearts understand that God exists. They know that. They know it. Our job then is to simply remind them of that truth. Remind them that God created them. That God loves them. He suffered on a cross and died for them. He wants them to have such a blessed life. And then everlasting life with Him. Amen. That's going to conclude our study on different religions, different philosophies, worldviews, I guess I should say. (coughs) Understanding that there are people out there that think differently than we do. They believe differently than we do. But God loves them just the same. God died for them just the same. And we have the power through the Holy Ghost and through the Word of God to reach all men, all women everywhere, no matter their belief system, no matter their culture, no matter where they're at. God wants to reach them. Amen. Let's all stand. Lord Jesus, You are a kind and gracious Savior, an awesome God. I pray, Lord Jesus, that You would help us to be effectual in ministry. That You would help us to be effectual in reaching these who perhaps have had different experiences than we've had, who think differently than we think, who are from different cultures, different lifestyles. I pray, O God, that You would use us, that You would use Your body to reach this city, to reach this county, wherever they're at, whoever they are. In Jesus' name we pray. Bless the remainder of our service, I pray. Let your great name be glorified in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We'll take a 15 and we'll be...